All right. I hope you're glad to be here today. I sure am glad that you are and uh, look forward to sharing with you a message that I think is going to be very, very helpful to you. If, you're, if, you're, if, if you'd rather be here than stretched out in your pajamas with a big latte or coffee in a hospital bed, say amen. Oh, well, I, I thought that might work. Uh, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We'll read our text here in just a moment. Uh, I want to conclude our series we've been in um, since the beginning of the year, All Things New and the New Year. And, you know, last week I talked with you about walking a new path, a new path into the new year. And uh, I told you last week that these two messages really kind of uh, connect with each, each other. I think you'll see what I mean here in just a few moments. But uh, if you're going to walk a new path in the new year, there's something you need. You need the right kind of power. You need a new kind of power to, to do that. And uh, the scripture tells us that we have access to a kind of power that will help us to walk on the path that God has intended for us to walk on all along. But the truth is a lot of people are not walking on um, a path with power, they're walking on a path that keeps ending up in defeat and failure. And there's some of you who are watching, some of you in this live audience, some of you who are listening by radio, and, and you have a cycle that just keeps repeating. And you feel like, I want to get uh, on the path of God, but I just, keep sin- I, I just seem to keep crashing and burning. And so today, I want to talk with you about how you can live victoriously in the new year. There is a power available to you. Alice and I have been married for 41 years, and she qualifies for sainthood for putting up with me for that, that long. But when we got married, her mother gave, her mom and dad gave us a, a vacuum cleaner, and uh, it was a particular kind of vacuum cleaner. It was a very expensive vacuum cleaner, uh, even in those days, it was very expensive. It was um, a brand called Kirby. Are any of you familiar with Kirby vacuum cleaners? Some of you have had. These things were heavy. I mean, they were made of steel, maybe cast iron, I don't know, but I mean, they weighed a ton. And somewhere probably in the archives of our, our uh, home, this vacuum probably still exists. But we used it for years, and this was, at that time, it was the top-of-the-line vacuum. You couldn't buy one. I mean, they paid a lot of money for this thing, and it, it, was, it was using a new and innovative technology in vacuum cleaners at the time that really was just kind of coming on the scene. It was called self-propel. Have any of you ever had a self-propel vacuum cleaner? And they're really pretty cool, aren't they, Robert? I mean, they're pretty cool because they kind of glide, you know. You don't have to work uh, vacuuming that uh, stand, that green and gold shag carpet, right? Um, and so we had this vacuum, and it was pretty cool, and it made it, it, made it easy to vacuum. You know, it was just such new technology, and uh, just so it's just kind of glide, you know, you're vacuuming just like it's n- n- effortless. And, and by the way, that was important in those Kirby vacuums because they were so heavy. And if you didn't have something to help move it along, you couldn't hardly push it along. They were that heavy. Well, after a few years of use, the, the, the self-propelled part of it died. And you really just couldn't push it. So I I think I can fix a lot of things, and so I decided I can fix this. It can't be too complicated. Some of you guys have done that before, 
and thought, I'll just fix this. I'm not going to take this in the shop and leave it for three weeks and, you know, and then charge me the same amount that the vacuum cleaner cost to repair. So I thought, I'm going to do this. And so on a Saturday, put newspaper all around, and I began to disassemble this to get to the mechanism to figure out how, you know, to make this thing self-engage again. And so I started taking it apart, and, and usually I'm, I'm pretty visual when I do stuff like that. If I can see it, I can do it. If I can see, I can put it together, take it apart. You know what I mean? And so, um, so I started taking it apart. Well, do you know how many parts a self-propelled vacuum cleaner has? I started taking this thing, and you get into it, and... There's a point in time where you've unscrewed so many screws, you've taken parts off. There's a point in time where you get to that you go, I think I'm in over my head, but I'm too far in now to stop. I've got so much disassembled, I might as well continue. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so that's where I was, parts laying everywhere, and I'm just, and then sometimes you unscrew something and it causes another part that you didn't intend to pop off, and you say, where was that? So that's, and all these parts are laying out, and I have to be honest, I'm looking at going, I don't know if I'll ever get this back together. So finally, I figured out what the mechanism was, and I, I, I replaced what was evidently the problem, got it back in, and then I began to try to reassemble. And what I thought would be a job that would take me about 20 minutes took me an entire afternoon. So I'm trying to put this thing back together. I'm putting the pieces in, and he's got these wheels and sprockets and, man, all this stuff and little hoses. And um, So I'm putting this back together, and finally I close it up, and there are no parts left. So I know I got everything in there. I don't know if it's right. The test, of course, begins with, first of all, plugging it in. Does it start up? And I plugged it in, and sure enough, flip the power switch on it and voila there's power and it looks like the little thing is turning that sucks up the dirt and everything so I'm two for two right but now the big test is when I engage the self-propel is it going to engage and the way these things work was the self-propel was kind of a sliding process so when you pushed it automatically engaged right and there there you know it, it glided around and so I um I pushed and it worked but there's more not only did it work i don't know what i did but i supercharged this thing <laughs> and when i would engage it i mean and they're heavy i mean it would drag you <laughs> like that I, I mean it really it tugged and you, you're trying to figure out whoa boy you know that kind of thing and and i thought uh well, it's working. I'm not going to mess with it. And so it'll just, um, it'll, and so I didn't really tell my wife. I just told her it was fixed. And uh, she said, good. Well, I, 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 I need to vacuum something. So, so I say, okay, okay, it'll work. And so it doesn't take long. She plugs it in, she turns it on and boom, there she goes. And man, it's dragging her. <laughs> She's going on. I mean, it's dragging her I look off in the distance, and there she goes, boom, she's fine, blah, blah, and it was aer aerobic vacuuming, 
that's what it was. I mean, you get your exercise in with, with that vacuum. I never changed it. We just learned how to run behind the vacuum cleaner when we <laughs> say, how you feel? I'm worn out. <laughs> What'd you do? I vacuumed the house. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of really, really the way it was. It was supercharged. It was supercharged. Well, I tell you that to say this. <clears throat> that vacuum had a new power source. I couldn't explain it. I could not explain it. Still can't. But it had power that I don't know that they ever created it to have. Some of you are in need of a new power. Your, uh, the, the, the mechanism that carries you has just kind of worn out or worn low. There's some of you watching or in this live audience and you're, you're spiritually drained. You're spiritually tired. And uh, you've tried to muster the energy, you know, okay, I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move forward again. And you're just spiritually exhausted or spiritually tired. And what you really need is a new power. You need the power that you didn't even know was really available to you. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I challenged you last week to, to walk a new path, you know, based on Isaiah 43. But honestly, for you to walk a new path, you've got to have the power that God intends for you to walk that path. And, um, and that comes only from Him. I have a life verse. I've shared it with you before. It's Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not become weary. They shall, I mean, they shall run and not become weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a life verse I've had since I, I was a teenager. But if there were another verse that God has repeatedly reminded me of and given to me in, in all the years of my saved life, it would be Zechariah 4.6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the Lord has used that time and time again to remind me of something, and that is I can't go very far without His power. And that I can't walk in victory if I don't walk in His power. doesn't matter how well-intentioned my efforts are, it's not enough to have victory. And trying to live for God without His divine power it may be something noble. We would all say, man, they're really trying hard to live for God. That, that may sound noble and be noble, but it will exhaust you, and it might even cause you to give up. In the early church, the book of Acts is all about the, the origins of the ecclesia, the church, the gathering. And we see something interesting in Acts 1 in particular. Acts 1 and verse 8 says, wait here in Jerusalem until you are endowed with power. And what's interesting about that whole scenario is the disciples were finally excited. They were gathered together and they were excited because they had seen the risen Christ. They were excited because their hopes had been dashed at the crucifixion, but the resurrection told them again, yes, he is who he said he was. Yes, he's alive. And they were excited about being, taking that news to other people and into the world. But isn't it interesting, even in their excitement, Jesus, before he ascended, 
told them, you just stay right here, don't you do a thing. Until you are endowed with power from above. Don't go anywhere. Don't you do anything. I know you're excited. I know you want to tell everybody that Jesus really is alive. Jesus did what he said, but don't, don't strike out on your own. You need some power in order to do it. And just a chapter over, we see the power that fell at Pentecost. That power would reside on them, and it would enable them to do and carry out the work of God in their lives and to, in effect, produce and create the church because of all that God would do. But isn't it interesting? He told them not to do anything until his power fell upon them. Well, you know, you and I need that same power. Fortunately, we have access to that same power. And for us to do the work of God or for God to do his work through us, we've got to have that power. And that's what I want to show you, talk to you about as we wrap this series up. A new kind of power, the Holy Spirit power on us. Would you stand with me if you're physically able to do so? Our text is found in Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 16. You follow along with me, if you will. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now, Lord Jesus, would you speak to our hearts today? Father, remind us that there is power for us to live and to go forward, that there's power for victory, there's power to, to win in our walk, Father, and to experience you in perhaps ways we've never known before. And so, Father, we pray that you will teach us, instruct us with your word, and transform us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I got to looking back in my, my log, and I've preached on this passage, I think, about four times in 22 years that I've been your pastor. And what a powerful passage it is, and there's so much rich truth in it. The entire fifth chapter could really be a contrast between spiritual victory and spiritual defeat. I mean, we could really use this kind of idea or theme for the whole chapter. And um, it, it, it's kind of a diagnostic regarding the battle between the spirit and the flesh. But it's more than just a diagnostic. It's more than just a kind of analytic thing. It provides clarity on how to have victory. And this passage provides the two what I believe are critical principles for a believer's walk. And that is, one, to know how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And two, know how to conquer the flesh. Those are key principles that are taught here. And the way we understand how to live that way is by understanding the means by which God has provided for us to live in victory. And today I want to show you three things that I believe will help you. This may be, if you get, if you get one of the most significant things I'm going to talk about in just a minute, this may be the most important sermon 
in this entire series I've been doing. In fact, maybe one of the most important sermons in your life. So let me show you three things. The first thing I want to show you is he speaks of a ruling walk. If you look at verse 16, this is all about the Spirit of God ruling our lives. He said, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's speaking of a ruling walk. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit must rule over our walk. And in the, in the Greek, it is in the uh, present tense. It's a present imperative is what it is. And that means this is not a, a, a one and done kind of thing. It is a continuous process that we walk in the power of the Spirit continuously. It is an ongoing uh, kind of thing. Now, for most of us, it's not unusual to identify areas of our life that need change, right? I mean, I bet I bet uh, we don't have to, to name those or that sort of, but I bet most of us in here today could say, yeah, I know some things that need to change in my life. I, I know some things that if I, could, if I could have victory in, that it would enhance my spiritual life. Now, most of us can identify areas of our life that need change. It, it may be uh, that the devil has created a sin habit in your life and, and, uh, and, and it needs to be dealt with. It may be, it may be uh, ungodly attitudes. Uh, it, it may be behavior that needs to change. Whatever it is, our general approach to dealing with things like this follows a kind of a pattern and that unfortunately is, is mostly a, a pattern of defeat, a cycle of defeat. goes something like this. So I know there's something that needs to be dealt with in my life, right? I know there's something that God would like to change in my life. I know that it needs to be addressed in my life. So I'm going to make a fresh commitment to change. I'm going to identify it. And I'm going to say, I'm going to change that. That I'm going to change. I'm going to do something about it. So I make this fresh commitment to change, right? I'm not going to keep failing there. I'm not going to keep losing the battle there. I'm going to change. So I make this commitment to change. That's step number one. The second step I take is I then say, okay, so I'm going to focus my mind on what needs to change. So I, I know there's a, an area, there's something, there's an attitude, whatever it is. I know this needs to be changed. I am committed to change that. And then, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give more thought. I'm going to become more aware of that so that when that challenge arises, I'm going to, I'm going to be ready to face it. So that's usually step two. We, we start with a fresh commitment to change, and then we, we tell ourselves, I'm, I'm going to make myself more aware so that I don't drop my guard. Step number two. Step number three, though, goes like this. Okay, because I want to be more aware, I need an action plan. I need an action plan. Nothing wrong with plans or action plans or that sort of thing. So my action plan becomes I'm going to put more determined energy to fight or to find victory. I'm going to apply greater willpower than ever before. I'm going to stop this. So I'm going to give more energy and more willpower toward it you know it's that kind of thing like kind of at the new year when you make all the resolutions and and you say I'm going to lose weight and all that kind of stuff you know and you have you ever wondered why January February and March you see more Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers commercials than in any other time of the year I mean they're bombing why because they know people are going I'm going to lose some weight uh, I need to lose weight I need to be more healthy so I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to drink more water. That's what I'm going to do. And on and on. And I, you know, so we start. So 
I'm, I'm going to make myself do that. And we can, we can say to, to boost my willpower, I'm going to find little motivational things, you know. Like people will, you know, stick a picture on a refrigerator and say, this is, that's, that's my goal right there. And I'm going to make it and I'm going to keep it in here so it, my resolve will stay strong. And it sounds good and it works for about three weeks or less. And it doesn't take long before that picture can be on there on the refrigerator and you can look right past it and open the door and get what you were going to get, right? You just, it just disappears from your mind. Your willpower may have lasted for a little while, maybe even longer than what I said, but you throw willpower at it to stop something, okay? The fourth step is, I become exhausted. Spiritually, I've worn myself out trying to do what I want to do. He even talked about that, the, that there's the, this, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. So I just, I become spiritually exhausted trying to fix something and I continue to fail at it. I get frustrated, and then you know what happens? Guilt, guilt, guilt. And the devil heaps guilt on, keeps making you feel guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. God, I just can't do it. Other people can do it. I just can't have victory. There are places in my life I just can't have victory. And then there's a fifth step. You know what it is? The pattern repeats. After a while, you kind of say, okay, I'm going I'm to do it again. I'm, I'm going to. But I want to tell you this morning, God has a better way. And that's the point of Paul's command in verse 16. Do you know what the better way is? Simply put, it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to listen, especially to what I'm saying in this first point, because if you, get, if you don't get anything else I say, if you get this first one, it will change I promise you, it'll change your spiritual uh, walk and the way you approach victory. The American Sleep Apnea Association tells us that over 22 million Americans suffer from sleep apnea. And it's a pretty serious condition because if you have sleep apnea, uh, your risk of heart attack is greater, your risk of stroke is greater, uh, your risk of dementia is higher, your blood pressure risk is, is higher. Y'all know what sleep apnea is, don't you? Sleep apnea is uh, a condition that uh, 22 million Americans have where uh, they stop breathing during the night as they're sleeping. They'll have periods where they stop breathing. They'll start again, thank goodness, but they'll stop. And they'll start and stop and start and stop breathing. They don't know that because the interval sometimes can be as much as 15, 16 seconds. You think about that, just boom, you're gone for 15 seconds. I understand that because, see, some of y'all have already, you have sleep apnea here. Uh, but honestly, and it's a very dangerous uh, condition. So the most, the most common treatment for sleep apnea is, do y'all know what it is? A CPAP machine. Some of you might even use a CPAP machines to, to rest. And, and the... the what the CPAP machine does is it's a tube and a mask and a kind of compressor, and it forces air to flow continuously um, into your lungs throughout the night so that it, you are still getting oxygen uh, through the night. Now, if you went to a doctor and he said, yes, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got some news for you. You have sleep apnea. 
And then he said to you, but I, I'm going to tell you how to, I'm going to tell you how to fix it. And then here, here it is, you'd be listening, what, what, what? And then your doctor said, stop it, just stop it. Start breathing again and, and stop doing this. You would go, what? I thought you were going to give me something to help me breathe. Not just counsel. You can do it. Just use your willpower. And when you feel like stopping while you're sleeping, start. Or don't quit. You would find another doctor. I suspect, right? Because you would say, that doesn't resolve anything. Do you know there are a lot of Christians that have developed spiritual apnea? And it's a stop and start. Stop and start. When God has designed there to be a continuous flow of power from an outside source, what is it? The Spirit of God. Just like that CPAP machine is a continuous flow of oxygen, the Holy Spirit was given to be a continuous flow of power in our lives. That's what it is designed for. And so here's the big point. Rather than trying to stop something, start something. Rather than trying to say, I'm going to quit that, you know, the cycle that I went through. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to, I made a new commitment. I'm going to do all these things. Rather, than, this, is the, this is what you've got to get. I, I want you to get this so badly because I really believe it will change the way you approach things and your, your walk and victory with God. So our focus must be on allowing the Spirit to rule our lives rather than our focus being on willpower and I'm going to stop. You see, instead of trying to quit, I need to quit that, I need to quit that, I need to quit that, Paul is saying to us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you and Look at verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you, you might not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, are y'all looking at your Bibles? That's not what it says, is it? He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul's message is emphatic, and it is this. If you walk by the Spirit, listen, the results automatically will be that you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He did not say... Do not carry out the desires of the flesh and walk by the Spirit. See, that's just backwards. Are y'all with me? Does it make sense? But what he says is walk by the Spirit, and guess what? By default, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But here is our approach. Our approach is usually, I've got to stop this. Holy Spirit, help me. And so I'm focused on stopping something instead of being focused on being filled with someone because if I am filled with him by default I will not carry out the desires of the flesh and so what we do and this helped me so it was like a spiritual light went on my head years ago when I finally realized this it's not about uh, I gotta I gotta get rid of that out of my life I gotta get rid of that out of my life it is about I gotta get full of him he's got to rule over my life and if I am filled with him and I am walking in his spirit the other stuff will take care of itself 
Does that make sense? But most Christians don't get that. They have good intentions, and they are trying to have victory, but they keep failing time and time again because instead of walking in the Spirit, they're fighting the flesh with their own flesh. And it's a prescription for absolute disaster. Now, you say, I don't know if I can. Of course you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Because the Bible, Paul wouldn't have put it in there and he wouldn't have commanded them and, and, to, to walk in the Spirit if they couldn't do it. He wouldn't have said, walk in the Spirit. But really, you, don't, you can't. He wouldn't have told us that. You can do this. But you got to get the order right. Most of us walk in the flesh and fight the flesh with our flesh and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Instead of saying, I'm just going to, what is my focus on? Is it on what I need to stop? No. My focus is on being filled with the Spirit. Because if I'm full of the Spirit, the stuff I need to stop will take care of itself. I've told you all before, and she was here in the fall, this, a young lady, well, she's, uh, she's a, a mature adult now, and I led her to Christ years ago when she was a teenager, and she was hostile to God. I won't go into all of that. Suffice to say this, when I talked to her about coming to Christ, she says, but I don't want to stop doing some of the things I was doing, and she was into some things. <laughs> and she didn't mind telling me. I think she wanted to see if she could shock me and everything, and she did. I just didn't let her know. And she says, but I said, well, what if I told you, you don't have to give that up? She said, do I have to give that up? Well, I said, what if I said, uh, instead of, I didn't say, you, you don't have to give What I said was, what if I said, I'm not even asking you about that. I'm just simply saying, would you be willing to give your life to Christ? And she said, but do I have to give that stuff up? I said, I said and I, I was very careful in my response. I said, I'm not talking about what you need to give up. I'm talking about what you need to give, and that is, are you willing to sincerely give your life to Christ? Well, this conversation happened off and on for about probably three months or so. Finally, she came to me, and she said, she said, okay, I'm ready to trust Christ. And then she went like this. She went, but I don't have to give up those things, right? I said, I'm not talking to you about what you give up. I'm talking about, are you willing to give your life to Christ sincerely? And so she did. And this is a much abbreviated story. The next week she comes to see me and she, go, she does this. She said, you know that stuff I didn't want to give up? She said, it's just crazy, but I don't have any desire to do that stuff anymore. In the space of a week. Now, I want to tell you, I didn't let her see me do this, but inside I went. But I was banking on something. You know what I was banking on? That if she genuinely gave her life to Christ, Christ would deal with that stuff. And he did. You know what? He still does it. Just as you have been saved by faith, walk by faith and walk by the Spirit, Paul tells us later on. The fact is, if you walk by the Spirit, the stuff that probably needs to go in your life, the Spirit of God will deal with. You just walk by the Spirit. Am I making sense? So the emphasis too often is on, i got to stop, when in reality the emphasis should not be on the things I've got to stop. The emphasis should be on, I'm going to walk in the power of the Spirit. And if you will, you will get down here and you'll suddenly realize, gosh, 
that other stuff. I'm not struggling with that stuff anymore. Why is that? It's because I've obeyed the Spirit. I've been filled with the Spirit. I'm walking daily in the power of the Spirit. And, and so I leave that stuff behind. It no longer has a pull because what has the pull on me is the Spirit of God. That's why we're commanded. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. But there's something else to consider. Now, having said all that, sounds real easy, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, that's really easy. That's real, really. Well, here's the, here's the reason that's not as easy as it sounds. It's because number two, point number two in your outline, there's a raging war. There's a raging war. Look at verse 17. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These, for these, are opposed to each other. Look, in order to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I bet if we did a survey, this worship, people that are online watching us, and I asked the question, are you a Christian? And people identified themselves as a Christian. And then I said, okay, if you're a Christian, now if you're not a Christian, this wouldn't apply to you, but if you're a Christian, and if I did this survey and said, how many of you really want to do what God wants you to do? I bet it would be 100% or close to 100%, you know? Because I think most believers want to do what God wants them to do but they just lose that power so I, I believe it. but the problem is then why are we not more successful it is because there is a war going on it's a raging war he says that right here here he says the desires of the spirit desires of the flesh they oppose one another there is this war going on and the fact is this is not a skirmish you know just a little dust up kind of thing this is an all-out war and it is designed to destroy you the thief comes but to kill steal and destroy Jesus said uh, of the devil this is spiritual in nature and some of the reasons that we have trouble in this battle is because we don't understand that this is more than flesh and blood. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of the present darkness. Our battle, you see, is a spiritual battle. And sometimes, and sometimes our problem is that we see it as purely a physical thing. I want to suggest something to you this morning. A lot of the things that you just think are, are just physical stuff that's gone wrong, and, and, and some of it is in a broken world, but it is still part of a spiritual battle. And a lot of times our defeat comes in the fact that we're not walking in the power of the Spirit, so we don't have victory in the battles where the flesh is fighting the Spirit because we just say, oh man, life is tough for me right now. And what we... What we need to realize is this is a spiritual war. It may have physical manifest, uh, manifestations, but it's a spiritual war that you and I are engaged in. And if we don't get that, we will certainly get beat. There are some things that are going on in your life right now that look purely physical, but they actually have a spiritual dimension uh, to them. And, and it's part of this spiritual war. It's manifesting itself in your life, and, and, and you just can only see it from a physical point of view, but, but it's not unusual for some of that to have, be a spiritual war going on that you don't identify, because that war is always going on, and it's universal in scope. Every Christian is engaged in the spiritual battle. 
No Christian gets a pass. Well, I, you say, well, you know, Brother Ray, things in my life are pretty good right now. Let me just tell you a little process. You are either in a spiritual battle in some area of your life right now. You're coming out of a spiritual battle in your life, so things might seem relatively calm, or you're getting ready to go into a spiritual battle. I mean, that's the, that's the way it works, and this spiritual war is going on. And consequently, if you don't understand that, you're going to have trouble having victory in that battle. And that's why it's, it is often hard for us to walk in the power of the Spirit. And it, this war can only be won with that power. The picture here is of a tug-of-war, that, um, that the enemy of your soul is fighting the Spirit of God, and there's this tug-of-war being that's going on a tug now if you don't know christ there's a tug of war going on for your soul did you know that the enemy is tugging if you are listening to this and you've never really trusted christ or you're not sure you want to follow christ but you feel this tug this tug going on guess what that's part of that warfare the enemy of your soul is trying to to tug you so that you eventually listen will find your place eternally in hell and the uh, the spirit of god is trying to tug you into his kingdom to he's trying to tug you from darkness to light this tug of war can only be won with the right kind of power behind it battle never ceases and the bible teaches us that our battle has three components the world the flesh and the devil uh, someone has said the battle with, in the world is our external enemy. That's not the physical world when the Scripture uses that terminology. It is instead the system of belief that's always vying for our hearts and our minds. It's a philosophy of the world. That's what is meant by, by the world as an enemy. Paul said that the world is constantly trying, in Romans 12, trying to squeeze us into its mold. That's part of that battle. Now, that, that's the world. We have that battle. We, it, it, the, another component is the flesh. The Bible says the flesh, as we've been talking about. That isn't, again, that isn't uh, so much about your flesh and bones, but it is what's going on inside of you that tries to undermine your devotion and obedience to God. And then there's the devil. That's your infernal enemy. He's the mastermind, uh, mastermind behind all the schemes uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 that we are not unaware of his schemes. And Peter says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And I want you to know, and I want to remind you this morning, that those three, that external, internal, infernal, those three components are all operating under the conspiratorial plan of the devil and working overtime to destroy you spiritually. In fact, they're working overtime to destroy uh, the nation. They're working overtime to destroy the church of God. And the only hope for you and for me for victory is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's one more thing I want to show you this morning as I close. And that is, there's also a revealing witness about you and about me when it comes to this whole matter of power and the Spirit of God. He says in verses 19, 23, we won't read all those again, but he says in those verses, he begins by saying, now the works of the flesh, the works of the flesh, what are they? And he begins to tell us about the works uh, of the flesh. Uh, as I was working on the message, I read an article from uh, 2020 
uh, about, uh, it was produced by the San Francisco Gate. It was this article about a, a young lady named uh, Kaylee Wilkes. And Kaylee Wilkes had uh, cultivated a little succulent plant for about two years. She had taken care of this little plant, but just when she was ready to take the next steps in caring for this little plant she had been, she'd been taking care of, she realized that her efforts were all for nothing. You see, and she said this, I was so proud of this little plant. It was full, had beautiful coloring, just an overall perfect plant. I had a watering plan for it. In fact, if anyone else tried to water my succulent plant, I would get def uh, so defensive because I just wanted to, to keep good care of it. I absolutely love my little plant, she said. But when Wilkes decided, the article said, that she was ready to to transplant this plant into a larger a pot, she was shocked to find that the little plant she'd been taking care of for two years was plastic. For two years. I know what you're thinking. I thought it too. This is also a story about intelligence or the lack thereof. But for two years, she'd taken it, and she goes on, and this is what she says. I put, so, <laughs> I put so much love into this plant. I washed its leaves. Duh. <laughs> I tried my hardest to keep it looking its best, <laughs> and it's completely plastic. How did I not know this? Duh. I pulled it from the container it's sitting in, and it was styrofoam with sand <laughs> glued to the top. Apparently, the plant's inability to soak up water never gave her a clue about the nature of her plant. She didn't have to water it much. Succulent plants don't require much. She has since, by the way, you will be happy to know, replaced that plant with several other small succulent plants that are real. But she spent two years cultivating a phony. Wow! You see, how did she discover? She pulled it out, and that's when she realized what was really going on inside. Do you know what's going on inside of you tells a real story about what you are? whether you're real or plastic. There's a revealing witness that Paul talks about here that's manifest. It is a testimony, and his point is that what's going on in our lives testifies to what we really are. Jesus said this, by their, have you heard this verse? By their fruit you shall know them. What is produced by their life is a witness. It is a revealing uh, witness of what we really are. And he, he, he uses two, two identifiers. The first is the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the flesh. That is a revealing witness about us. Now, now again, it's not about skin and bone. I told you it's about your broken nature. It's about what's left over, the leftover disposition of sin that continues to fight for control of you even after you're saved it's in us all 
And it is the carnal part of us that desires to, to bring us down and even destroy us. It is constantly trying to rise up and, and it is always fighting against God's Spirit in you. And that's what he says right there, just fighting against us. I had a, I had a conversation with a believer one time who said this, Pastor, my flesh is so strong. I said, yeah, it is strong. Uh, but the flesh is not difficult to discern. It, it may be hard to admit, but it's not difficult to identify. Paul says in verse 19 that the works of our flesh are evident. In other words, they tell a story. And he illustrates it with several things. He illustrates it with sexual sins. He says immorality. And by the way, the Greek word there is pornea. He said immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are products of the flesh. He says spiritual sins, what would they be? Idolatry, sorcery, witchcraft. That is looking to other sources to provide some sense of direction. Idolatry, worshiping things other than God. He talks about self-centered or selfish sins too. He says enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, these kinds of things inside. And then he talks about social sins. You know, the kinds of sins that can manifest themselves in, in relationships and in uh, the world we operate in. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And this is not an all-inclusive list of the, you know, the the fruits of the flesh. In fact, he says this at the end. He said, and things like these, it's representative. So let me just add something here. If you say, well, I cleared the list. He didn't say that's all. He just said these are illustrative of the fruits of the flesh. The fact is, we generally know when our life is characterized more by the fruits of the flesh and then secondly, he says, then there is the other kind of witness, revealing witness of your life, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. And obviously, I mean, it's a no-brainer here, the, the, fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that's revealed when our lives are under the control of the Spirit. In other words, it's not self-generated, it is generated by that supernatural power on the inside of you, and it is both internal fruit, think about this, internal fruit, he says love, joy, peace, patience. Those are internal things, aren't they? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And then external fruit, things like kindness expressed, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are external fruits. And these are fruits that testify to who's in control of our life. So are the fruits of the flesh in control or the fruits of the Spirit being produced in your life? Whichever is happening is... Uh, uh, illustrates or really testifies or witnesses to who's in control of your life. So I ask you in closing, what does the fruit of your life reveal? Does the fruit of your life testify to the Spirit's control or to the control of the flesh? What, what does it testify to? So, and, and you have to ask, uh, uh, both ask and answer that question before the Lord. Lord, what is the fruit of my life really saying? The fact is, if the fruit of the flesh is in control of your life, the only solution is to repent of that fruit 
and turn yourself over to the Spirit like we began with in this message. And by the way, you know, you can, you can struggle with doing the right things and not have a lot of the fleshly manifestations that are there, but you're just struggling spiritually because you've tried to live for God in your own power. And you're worn out. There's some of you today, you're just worn out. You want the right thing, and thank God for that. And, and you're, you're, you're trying to live for God, but you are just exhausted trying to do God's will in your life and God's work in your life. And I know that's true of some that are joining us on a live stream and television and radio. And the, the key is, what are you going to do about it? I want to close to tell you a story. I told you last week a little bit, if you heard the message last week about the church I went to pastor, y'all remember that? And it was a church that had died and God was going to bring it back to life. And I begged him to let me go be their pastor. And he did. And, and he did. He brought it back to life. And uh, it was just incredible. I told you about that. It was just incredible. And it was so obvious that God was getting ready to do a work there. But I didn't tell you all of the story. God was blessing there, and, um, and man, I was running hard because I didn't want to fail God, and I was running hard. And somewhere in that process, I forgot that it is Jesus that builds his church. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church. And somewhere in my desire for God to continue this work that he was doing, I forgot. And I, as I look back later, realized what happened is I started trying to do it for God. We were growing so fast. And people were coming in and people were being saved. And people that had never known God were coming to our place. And, and I'll be honest with you, the growth and our economy didn't keep up with it each other and so there was pressure I only had one other I inherited a staff member when I went to that church and he didn't want to be there and he didn't want me being there because he had really wanted to be the pastor and he he pouted so he didn't want to do anything I had to say you got to do this you've got to do this and he didn't want to and he even let me know he really didn't want to be there and so I gave him a little bit of time, and then I helped him not be there, if you know what I mean. I helped him hear the call of God. And uh, by the way, it was the right thing, and we, we remained uh, friends. In fact, he became closer after he left than he was while he was there. But at any rate... So that's what I, I was dealing with. And I thought, God, I, I, gotta, I, I was working 16 hours a day, six days a week. I was almost, God was doing all this, and I was thrilled at what God was doing. But I, somewhere in there, you know, with, I, I began to try to do it for God with good intentions. And it, 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 it exhausted me. In fact, I began to have chest pains, severe chest pains. From the stress of trying to carry the load we began to add staff members to help but but it was happening so fast and I was trying and I remember one day finally 
I don't know, about a year and a half in, I remember sitting down in my office and weeping and saying, Lord, I love what you're doing. I just can't carry it anymore. And I need help. I need power. I'm exhausted. And I want to tell you something. In that moment, it's like suddenly it was one of those kind of come to Jesus meetings. Y'all ever have those? And in that moment, suddenly it's like scales fell off of my eyes. And it's like God whispered in my heart and said, I've been waiting for you to get here. So that you would realize that it's me and not you that does this. And I said, Lord, I get it. I get it. And a burden was lifted off my shoulder. By the way, the chest pains went away. The burden was lifted off of my shoulders. And my approach began, Lord, it's yours. You can make it live or you can kill it. It's up to you. It's not up to me. I had a little plaque I came across at that time. Really was a statement. I turned it into a plaque. It's still in my study in the back. I have a little prayer closet and it's back there and I keep it there. And occasionally I pull it out and look at it. And it says this, I don't have to survive. To remind me, God, you don't have to, you don't have, to have me. I need you. Here's what I want you to get. Somewhere in that process, people, the lines got blurred for good intentions. And I was trying to do all the right stuff, but I was trying to do it in my power. And I was exhausted. And it wasn't until I said, wait a minute. And you know what is strange about this? Everything I've just preached to you, I knew. I knew that it wasn't mine to carry. I knew that I had to walk in the power of the Spirit. But that's how subtle the enemy of your soul is. He'll cause you to think you're walking in the Spirit's power when you're just walking in your power trying to do it for God. And what he might have to do is run you into a wall to get you to say, Oh, God, I've been carrying something you never intended me to carry. So I want to close by asking you, are, is that where you are? You want to walk and follow God? I believe, I believe you do. I believe we all do. But you're exhausted. And it doesn't have to be church work. You're just exhausted. And what Jesus wants you to know is he doesn't expect you to stop. Point it, whatever it is. What he expects you to do is let him be the power in you. And then the burden goes away, and then you go forward with God. The new path has to be matched with a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So my encouragement to you in this year, ask God, God, am I walking in your power, or am I trying to live for you in my strength? Some of you, are, are that's where you are right now. Don't miss out on this wonderful gift of the power of the Holy Spirit. Stop focusing on what you need to stop. 
breathe in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Lord, if you don't help us do that, we won't. We just will get it all confused. Lord, we'll, we'll think we're doing the right stuff, but we'll be doing it in our flesh, and we just get tired and worn out. And Lord, I pray for those who are listening or watching this right now and those in this live audience, and, that are, and that's where they are. They, they're kind of almost at that wall, or they're just so exhausted trying to, to do the right stuff with good motive and good intentions. That's where I was, God. But they're, they're feeling powerless and spiritually exhausted. Would you right now speak into their hearts, God, and resonate the truth of it is not by might, it is not by power, it is by your Spirit. And if that's you this morning, you're a believer, and you say, that's where I am, why don't you say to him right now, Lord Jesus, forgive me for trying to do for you what you, only you can do through me. And Lord, help me to quit focusing on what I need to stop and instead focus on letting you fill me with your power and Holy Spirit and take me forward. And when I forget, remind me again and again and again, if it's a hundred times a day, help me to remember to let your Spirit, your Spirit handle the load. Your Spirit fill me. Let me walk in that power. I know I can. Your Word says I can. Maybe you're here watching and this is a little bit foreign to you because you've never really put your trust in Christ. And that's what you need to do today. Why don't you call on him and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for my sins. I know I'm a sinner, but I want you in my life. I receive you and receive your forgiveness. Fill me up now, God, with your Holy Spirit. And let me walk in that power. Father, would you hear these prayers? In Jesus' name.